Well, Matt, Matt asked me yesterday morning uh, if, if I would preach. He sent a message to Dennis, David, and I, and I was just the first one to jump on it and say I would do it. Um, so I believe that I have a word from the Lord for us. I spent a lot of time yesterday uh, asking God what he wanted me to preach about, what he wanted me to teach about. And, and even though I have something, it still is a, you know, I, I don't know why God has me do this word. You know, I even had my little girl, Alara, she came and sat by me yesterday and opened up her Bible and was like, Dad, I'm going to help you write your sermon. I'm going to tell you what you need to preach on. She just starts <laughs> giving me different Bible stories. She really wanted me to teach on uh, when, when Moses saw the back of God and his hair turned white. She wanted to hear about the, the glowing Moses, that kind of fascinates her and everything. And it's not what I landed on, but I really considered it. I really considered it. Uh, so I'm happy to be able to do this today. Uh, you know, Matt always starts with a joke. I've, I've got a decent one. I'm not going to tell them unless I have a, a decent one, but I like this one. I'm not the comedian like he is. I'm a storyteller, not a comedian. But the other day I, I had to go to, to Target and uh, buy a new belt. I go through belts pretty quick. And I found a belt that I felt like actually fit my waist. I'm kind of at this odd size where it's, it's a little bit difficult to find. I either get one belt size where, uh, you know, the peg goes to the last hole and one size the other direction. I, I can't even get it to fit me whatsoever. Um, I don't know if any of you other guys deal with that kind of situation. But I'm kind of at this odd size. So I found a belt and the belt cost me $80. It cost me $80. I took it home. I showed it to my wife. She liked it. it looked, it's a good looking belt. Um, but she looked at it and she said, wow, that is a, that is a huge waste. <laughs> For the record, that did not happen. Just in case I would not spend $80 on a belt. <laughs> I don't want to spend $10 on a belt. So, uh, we will do communion, uh, at the end. So if you have communion, um, that's great. Otherwise ushers, we will do it near the end. Um, I'm going to take this off. Yesterday, I went to go get be cheap. I don't like spending $20 on a haircut. I just can't stand it. It takes them 10 minutes to cut my hair, $20, five minutes for them to do the barbicide. It's like, forget it. So I buzzed it all off, started trimming my beard, messed it up. So you've got a clean cut, shorter beard, all this kind of stuff. I'm a little upset with myself right now. Um, <clears throat> so forgive me for this. <laughs> Let me say a prayer real fast. Let me say a prayer real fast. God, my heavenly Father, God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the word that you have given me. I thank you, Father, for this body. God, in the name of Jesus, may their hearts be opened up, may their ears be opened up to hear what it is that you have to say to them, Father. God, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you open up my mouth and open up my tongue so that the words that come out of me are from you and not from me. God, thank you for who you are and how you guide us and lead us and direct us. Father, I continue to ask you for wisdom. I continue to ask that you open up all, all of our hearts and those who are at home online uh, or those that you haven't even brought into our body yet, Father, that this be a place of worshipers who worship not just in song, but worship in deed as they go about their days throughout their week, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm, I'm going to read a verse real fast, and if you want to open up to it, you can. It's Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. 
and I'm just going to read it, and then I'll kind of unpack pieces of it as we go. Uh, but just to give you a heads up, today I'm going to kind of popcorn around a lot of different Bible stories. I'm going to give you not necessarily the chapter and verse, but I'll give you the book and chapter. Uh, if you want to write those down, I would encourage you to do so, so that you can go back and look at it yourself within the context of what I'm saying. Okay? I think that's really important to read Scripture within the context and not just grab one verse at a time. Okay, so I'm going to give you the book and the chapter and encourage you to do some work on your own. Uh, I'm also going to be explaining uh, a timeline. So if you have a spare piece of paper and a pencil and you want to kind of keep a timeline, you can draw a line across it. And you can start with the beginning of the timeline is going to be around, around 30 A.D., will be about the first year on the timeline. And the last years, the chunk of years, will be 66 through 74 AD. And I'll fill in the blanks with all of those and some years in between. Colossians 3, 12 through 17 reads, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You guys know who wrote Colossians, right? This is the Apostle Paul. I think sometimes when we think about the authors of the Bible, we think about the apostles, we think, man, they must have had it all together, right? To be able to write like this, to be able to admonish and encourage in this way, to lay out what it looks like in a nutshell to follow Christ, to live a Christian life, to one, one that is, is wholly dedicated to the Lord and out of our place of worship, and singing songs in, in every deed and everything we do being dedicated to the Lord out of that place that we then have compassion for others in humility and patience and are able to bear with one another in all forgiveness. Man, they must have really had it together, right? Right? Yeah, you're saying no and you're right. But we tend to have that attitude, don't we? We tend to have that. We think, man, they must have got it. And that's why we like stories like about Peter and, and how he had to be restored to the faith and, and how he had denied Christ. We see the humanity in Peter. That's why we like stories about Paul when he was Saul and he was a Pharisee and he was, he was persecuting the Christians, going around looking for opportunities to arrest and to stone them. It shows the humanity. It's a piece that to these great leaders and great men of the Bible, women of faith, that we can connect with. 
I want to tell you that when Paul wrote that, he was writing through experience. He was preaching through experience, not because it was something that he was great at, but it was something that he matured in. He matured in compassion and humility. He matured in learning what it was to bear with one another, with all forgiveness. It wasn't something he started off really, really good at. All right? And I share this because to me this is an encouragement to say no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, you may think that you have arrived, but you've not arrived. You've still got a long way to go. But God's faithfulness is that he will see you through to the end. He will see you through to the end. So give me an example. The book of Colossians was written. You can write this on your timeline if you want to. It's going to be near the end of that timeline was written between the years 61 and 63 AD. This was while Paul was on house arrest in Rome. He had traveled to Rome. He had already been bitten by a snake in Malta. Uh, he had appeal, appealed before Caesar, and he was on house arrest in Rome for a couple of years. He had freedom to be in his house, to move around. During that time, he wrote several letters. He wrote several letters, and Colossians was one of those. And I believe that because of all of this, by this point in the time from when he was converted, and I'll give you that time in a little bit, uh, to now, he had already gone through so much of this that he really did understand. When he was writing the Colossians, he knew what it meant. This was a personal thing. This was a real person who had struggled with this. And he had matured to a point to where these were no longer just words on a page. They had real value. The Saul before he was called the Apostle Paul, Saul was converted on the road to Damascus around 36 AD. Around 36 AD. Again, Colossians was written between 61 and 63 AD. By my count, that's a lot of years. That's a lot of time being a Christian, a Christ follower, a believer, a member of the way. It was nearly 30 years of walking out God's election where he says that we are God's chosen at the beginning of that verse. Nearly 30 years of walking out God's election with those values and sometimes imperfectly, but he was always straining toward the goal, right? So I want to give you an example of where he, he would have struggled with some of this. And I'm going to do that by giving you a completely different person's timeline that he's involved with. So he'll, he'll be mingled in here. Uh, I'm going to give you the timeline of Mark. Of Mark. Now, if you look up Mark, there are a lot of different times and ways that his name is used in the Bible. Uh, sometimes in the book of Acts, he's called John Mark. Sometimes he's just called John, uh, relating to John Mark. Sometimes he's called Mark. Uh, and, and most scholars traditionally will say that that's all one person. Those are just different names of the same person. A lot of people in the Hebrew, in the, in the ancient world, uh, as far as the Israelites would go, would have a Hebrew name and a Greek name. And so John would be the Hebrew name and Mark would be the, the Greek surname as they related within the world and everything. So John Mark. Most people hold true that John Mark, Mark, wrote the book of Mark, right? So again, some people would argue and say, well, Mark's anonymous. It doesn't really say who. But tradition holds that it was Mark that wrote the book of Mark. So we're going to go with the tradition there. 
Okay? So again, tradition holds that Mark's the gospel's author, and that's the same Mark that is mentioned in Acts 15, which is what we're going to kind of get to in a little bit. Mentioned in Acts 15 uh, as a person who was a point of contention between Barnabas and Paul, between Barnabas and Paul. But I want to build up to that time. First of all, if you look in Mark 14, most people believe that this is the first example we have of when Mark physically shows up within the Bible, in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the only gospel where this little bit of the story shows up. Where after Jesus has been arrested, Judas has come up to Jesus, he's, he's kissed him, given him the kiss of betrayal, everybody's arrested him, and then all of a sudden some Roman guards, they see this young man off to the side who's been watching the whole exchange. This young man was only wearing a loincloth, right? This is, this is, most people believe that this was Mark because he wrote himself into his, his gospel to say this is his experience. Nobody else had this experience. He's only wearing a loincloth. So I, I imagine that Mark, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, because it wasn't just the 12 chosen that traveled around with him, right? There were a bunch of women that traveled around with him. There were a bunch of people that traveled around with him. It wasn't just the 12. Mark then would have been a young man. We're thinking 13, 14, 15 years old, right? At this time, and he sees Jesus get up from Bethany, and he goes to the garden with Peter, James, and John, and Mark wants to know, something's afoot, something's going on. So he gets up out of bed. He was sleeping in his loincloth just to go see what Jesus is up to because he wants to know what Jesus is doing. He's that passionate about knowing what Jesus, Jesus is going to do something cool. I think of the scene in Incredibles where, where Mr. Incredible shows up on the driveway and this little kid's sitting there in this hot wheel and Mr. Incredible gets real upset. And he's like, what do you want from me? It's like, I'm, or what are you waiting for? I'm, something awesome. Mark's waiting for something awesome. He sees Jesus get arrested. He sees these guards come after him. They tear onto his loincloth and he runs away butt naked. Right? Runs away. It's Mark. It's the only time that's seen in the Bible. As a young man, he was already passionately following Jesus. Even to his own cost and embarrassment. If that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, and most traditions hold that, and the dates can be argued a, a little bit, but most tradition holds that that happened in A.D. 30. In A.D. 30. So Mark, prior to A.D. 30, was already following Christ. Years later, we're in about 12 years later, Peter gets arrested in Jerusalem. So in 42 AD, Peter gets arrested in Jerusalem. Church has already been established. Peter gets arrested. An angel appears before Peter, breaks his chains, and rescues him. Peter, this is, this is in Acts chapter 12, if you want to look it up. Peter, upon being rescued the first place he thinks to go to is this woman's house named Mary. And in this house, there are worshipers and believers. And they are currently worshiping God and praying for Peter and for his rescue. 
This Mary, it's a very common name in the, in the New Testament, isn't it? This particular Mary is Mark's mom. The first place that the apostle Peter thought to go to was Mark's mother's house. Now, to me, that sounds like somebody that has a close personal relationship with this fellow named Mark, right? He knows him pretty well. Friends of the family. Friends of the family. That happened in 42 AD. In 48 AD, Mark was invited to join Barnabas and Paul on Paul's first missionary journey. In 48 AD. This is in Acts chapter 13. It says, it calls him John in this chapter, but it's John Mark. Uh, it says that he went along to be their assistant. So they start off in Antioch. They start off in Antioch, which is in kind of modern day Turkey area. They start off in Antioch and they, they go all the way down to the island of Cyprus. And in one of the cities in Cyprus, uh, they begin to be challenged by a, a an Israel, a Hebrew false prophet, a Hebrew false prophet named Elymas. I probably butchered the name, named Elymas. And they are, Elymas is getting in the way of everything that Paul and Barnabas and all of them are trying to do. But in the midst of all this, there's a Greek proconsul, a Gentile, who's listening to everything that Paul is saying and is very interested. Paul then turns to Elymas and he strikes him blind in the moment of this. He strikes him blind. And Elymas then, temporarily blind, he has to be led around by his hand. And then this Greek, this Gentile proconsul, becomes converted and, is, and believes, right? From there, from Cyprus, they then travel back up to the mainland to Pamphylia. To Pamphylia. And at that point, Mark decides to leave the group. We don't know why he left the group. But it says he left. They start in Antioch. They come, I'm trying to do this backwards so you can have the map. They start in Antioch. They come down to Cyprus. Come back up to Pamphylia. Barnabas and Paul and his group, which would include Luke since he's writing all of this, they go on and continue their missionary journey. Mark, though, comes all the way back down here to Jerusalem. We don't know why he left, but we know that he abandoned the group. We don't know if, I mean, you could assume, and a lot of people do, that some people assume that it's because he was, maybe he was offended at the way Paul caused Elymas to become blind. Maybe he was offended at the fact that he just saw a Gentile become a believer and was welcomed in. You know, maybe he wasn't offended at all. Maybe he was just traveling and he left to go let Peter, who obviously we know was a friend of his, to let Peter know what was going on, but Paul felt like Mark had abandoned them because Paul had another agenda and plan for Mark. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you could assume all sorts of things, but the fact is, is that Mark left the group at that point, and that caused a problem between Paul and Mark. Okay? That all happened in 48 AD. Now, at some point... Mark returns to Antioch. Uh, it's reasonable, in, returns to Antioch from Jerusalem, it's reasonable to assume that this happened after the Jerusalem council when the apostles and leaders of the church gathered to get together to decide what to do about the Gentile Christians. Do they try to make them follow every single step of the Hebraic law or not? 
It was a very important time in Scripture, the Jerusalem Council. And they crafted a letter, and they, they sent Paul and Barnabas back up to Antioch to teach this letter and share this letter with the Gentiles in Antioch. It's reasonable to assume that at that same time that Mark went with that group back up to Antioch. And maybe he didn't, maybe he went another time. But at some point around then, he went from Jerusalem back into Antioch, and that's then around 50 AD. That's when the Jerusalem Council happened. Am I losing any of you? I promise I'll tie this into Colossians in a little bit. I promise I will. And then a year later, roughly a year later, in 51 AD, Paul and Barnabas decide that they want to go visit all the churches and the groups that they had met with, the people they met with on the first missionary journey, to encourage them to speak love into them, to admonish them, right? To visit them. Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along with them. This is Acts chapter 15. Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along with him. Paul did not want to bring Mark with him because Paul, for right or wrong, no longer trusted that Mark was a trustworthy person to come along on their trip. This became such a point of contention that in the English, we have the words sharp disagreement. The Greek for that, again, I'm probably going to butcher this one. It's not the easy, paroxysmos, paroxysmos in Greek. We actually have an English word that's based off of that called paroxysm. Okay? It's not a very common word at all, but paroxysm. The definition of paroxysm is a sudden attack or violent expression. A sudden attack or violent... This, so a sharp disagreement, it's, it's kind of putting it mildly, isn't it? I want you to picture this. In this time in between this sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, after Mark had left on their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas find themselves in Ephesus. Okay? And Paul is preaching. And the people in Ephesus are hearing how eloquent his words are. And they see this guy named Barnabas. And they start shouting out to Paul and Barnabas. They're saying, Zeus, 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 talking to Barnabas. And they're calling uh, Paul, Hermes, 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 the Greek gods. They see these two people and they think that they are physical human incarn incarnations of their own Greek deities because of the mere presence of their eloquence and of the way they look. Knowing that, we can surmise that Barnabas was not a small man. If people thought he was Zeus, this guy was built, right? This guy was built. You know, not unlike myself, you know. <laughs> you guys can call me Zeus, don't do that. But this guy was big. Barnabas was not a tiny guy. He was not a tiny man. He had a big voice. He had big muscles. He looked like a leader. But then you have Paul doing all the talking. Now, if you know anything about Greek mythology, then you would know that Hermes represents a couple of different things. First of all, he represents speed and agility. He also represents messenger, the voice of the gods. So when they see Paul, they see a guy who's probably pretty lean and looks pretty quick could probably beat them in a race, right? This is the, Hermes is the guy that had the wings on his, on his uh, shoes, on his ankles, right? 
could probably be a pretty lean guy with a loud, eloquent voice, a guy that could bring the message, right? So now I think back to, to this time when they have this sharp disagreement, and I'm seeing a guy that could cut somebody down with his words, a violent expression, a sharp disagreement, knows how to use his words to hurt somebody, and I see another guy that knows how to use his body to hurt somebody. A violent expression. This was not just two guys sitting in a pub arguing over whether or not we should do a mask mandate or not, okay? These were two people who had been following Christ for many, many years, coming to blows over whether or not another person should join them on a missionary trip. Do you hear compassion in that? Do you hear humility in that? I don't. I hear a lot of pride from both of them. Even Barnabas, who might be trying to have compassion on Mark, puffing himself up to a physical point where he's going to have a sharp, physical, violent expression, with Paul, I actually really love this story. I don't hear any of this. I don't hear bear with one another unto all forgiveness. I don't hear bearing. How are they bearing with one another? Paul doesn't even want to bear with Mark at all, right? He doesn't want anything to do with them. This disagreement was so sharp that at this point, it it effectively destroyed the relationship and partnership between Paul and Barnabas. And I want you to consider, too, that at this point, not everybody recognized Paul as an apostle. Okay? Barnabas, however, was one of the earliest Christians in Jerusalem. He was one of the earliest leaders. He was recognized he represented people at the Jerusalem council. He could have used his authority that he had because at this time he had more authority than Paul. He could have used that and cut him down. Instead, Barnabas takes Mark and they go then from Antioch to the Isle of Cyprus. And so instead of Paul going to Cyprus like he wanted to do, let's go visit all the places we went to, Paul then leaves and starts to travel around Syria. Instead of sailing at all, he travels around to visit people. They split ways. They split ways. That happens in 51 AD. I'll give you a quick recap of some of this, of just the years. By this point... In 51 AD, Paul had been faithfully serving the gospel of Christ for about 15 years. Is that a new Christian? No. Mark had been faithfully pursuing Jesus for over 21 years. So if he was 13, 14, 15, when we see this happening in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is 21 years later, He's in his 30s, 40s. Barnabas, who had been among some of the first believers in Jerusalem, you could read that in Acts 4, had been faithfully encouraging others in Christ then at this point for roughly over 20 years. These are not new believers. These are not people who we would think, oh, they're new in the faith, they're immature, they just need to grow 
We just need to love them into maturity. These are people that we would look at today and say they should be mature enough, right? They should be mature enough. It's actually a good thing they didn't go through this today because if they had, they'd probably have to suffer through a Twitter argument or a Facebook argument and publicly shaming one another and then followed by council culture where they don't, it's like, well, I disagree with you, so as far as I'm concerned, you're dead to me. Because that's how we handle things today. We're not any better at learning what it is to bear with one another and our differences of opinions than anything else. Barnabas' compassion for Mark at this moment sought restoration for him. We also know, based off of something that Paul writes later on in Colossians chapter 4, that Mark and Barnabas were cousins. Barnabas had compassion for his cousin. But his compassion came at the expense of a very dear partnership and friendship with Paul. Their competing objectives led to a severe lack of gentility and kindness toward one another. They were unable to bear with one another any longer. Around 57 AD, six years have passed. Six years have passed. Paul mentions Barnabas when he's writing 1 Corinthians. It's in 1 Corinthians 9. It's just a quick mention. But the fact that he mentions him as a fellow servant alongside his own name in ministry means that in that six years, Paul did the work. Barnabas did the work. And they may not have returned to a partnership traveling around with one another, but the relationship was restored. Paul knows what it meant to forgive another. Barnabas knows, knew what it was to forgive another person, to bear with them, to support one another in ministry, to support one another in life, to recognize what God is doing, even if it means they never went back to the way it was. That was 57 AD when Paul writes 1 Corinthians. He then continues his missionary journeys, Paul does, before that house arrest in Rome after he appealed to Caesar. So we're looking now at 61 to 63 AD again, which is when he wrote, <coughs> excuse me, Colossians and Ephesians and Philemon and, and a couple others, right? Uh, I want to specifically talk about Colossians and Philemon here real fast. Philemon's only one chapter, so I'm going to give you the verse. Philemon 23, Paul mentions Mark. He lists Mark as one of his co-workers in Rome. Think about that for a second. This is now 10 to 12 years later, after Paul came to blows with Barnabas over whether or not Mark was trustworthy. He then lists Mark as a co-worker in the faith in the city where Paul is imprisoned on house arrest. They got together. They worked it out. Mark proved himself. He showed that, that his greatest passion was to serve Christ. They made mistakes. The restoration happened. The relationship was restored. And then in Colossians 4, I already mentioned that in Colossians 4, he says that, that Barnabas is Mark's cousin. Well, in this, he's also, it says, Paul sends his greetings from Mark to the church in Colossae, Again, from Rome, okay? That means that when, when Paul was writing 
Colossians, he was writing the letter. He had some people right there around him. And he sent his greetings. It's like Mark saying, hey, tell them I said hi, will you? You say hi for me? I really miss them. Those are some nice people out there. Mark sends his greetings. Paul writes that down. This guy that had caused such a problem for Paul before, and in the same book, this very same letter where Mark is sending his greetings via proxy of Paul, this is where Paul is writing everything else we, we read about being gentle, about recognizing the chosen of the Lord, about having humility, about bearing with one another, about forgiveness, about restoration in relationship, about worshiping God above all else, let everything in your word and deed. The same person mentioned in that same book. A couple of years later, Paul is imprisoned by Emperor Nero around 65 AD. And this isn't house arrest. This is in a deep, dark dungeon with his hands chained behind his back to a wall. This is imprisoned, imprisoned to Emperor Nero, who kicked off the Christian persecution. Rome burned in 64 AD. Emperor Nero blamed the Christians. He blamed Christians for Rome burning. And he kicked off the persecution. A year later, Paul is arrested and imprisoned. Paul's fate's not looking very good at this point. From this prison, Paul writes his final letter. He writes for the second time to Timothy. 2 Timothy 2. He knows, you could read about this in 2 Timothy 4, he knows that the time of his, he says, the time of my departure is near. He knew death was coming. Death was knocking. It was happening. Read the writing on the wall. This is now around 66 AD. He'd been in prison for a year. And he requests only five things from Timothy. Five things. He asked Timothy to make every effort to come visit him soon. He asked Timothy to bring Mark because Mark is useful to him in his ministry. At the end of Paul's life, one of two people that he wanted to see was Mark. Now, I can think about people that I have contention with, and I know in my heart, I don't care if I ever see him again. <laughs> Just being honest, I have people like that, right? We all do. That's the truth. Okay? But that shows lack of forgiveness in my heart. But at the end of Paul's life, one of two people that he wanted to see was Mark. This guy that he dug his feet in so hard and said, I will not go on a journey with this man again. The other things he asked for, he asked Timothy to pick up his favorite cloak. He asked him to pick up his scrolls that he had been, he had a writing, collection of writings on, and his parchment, blank paper. Paul wanted to finish out his life writing letters, encouraging people, and he wanted Mark, he wanted Mark to be a piece of that. Paul then was martyred by Nero soon after. What we don't know is if Timothy arrived in time. We don't know that. 
But because the letter obviously had time to be sent out, it is reasonable to assume that even if Timothy did not arrive in time, that sometime just after Paul was martyred, Timothy arrives in Rome with Mark and Paul's collection of scrolls and parchment and his cloak. Then it begs to reason, well, what did Mark and Timothy do with all those scrolls? What happened to all those admonitions, admonishments and encouragements? All these other letters or, or stories or thoughts about Jesus. What happened to all of that? And then we have the earliest gospel show up. Written between 66 to 74 A.D. The Gospel of Mark. Now Mark, it doesn't exactly mirror and mimic all of Paul's writings. It's clearly Mark's voice. It's clearly somebody else's voice. But there are themes to it that are very Pauline. It's considered to be the earliest and it focuses on the power of Jesus in his parables. It focuses on servanthood. And one of the things that Paul needed the most, redemption. It is very reasonable to look at that and say, I wonder. I wonder if when Mark wrote his gospel, if he pulled from the relationship that he had with Paul and from the scrolls that he would have ended up with. I wonder if, if the gospels, as they are now, because this is the earliest one, the other of the two, the three synoptic gospels, Mark and Luke, have very similar stories to this where they clearly had a gospel in hand and they based some of their structure off the first gospel. What would have happened? What would have happened if Paul had not had the ability to have forgiveness? Or if Mark had not forgiven Paul to say, no, you accused me of something. You hurt me, Paul. What would have happened if they had not had that maturity to say, okay, this happened, but God is better than this event. He is bigger than this pain, than this church hurt. He is bigger than this. I want to seek reconciliation and forgiveness, not just for the heart of the people around me, but for my own sake, because God has a time and a plan that is bigger than what I see right now in this moment. This event for them was a Kairos moment. It was a Kairos moment that led to future Kairos moments because of their humility. Now, they didn't show any humility when they were coming to blows and arguing. But they matured and they developed, and as a result, look at what came out of it. The Gospels. Paul's ability to write to write, to say, bear with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. These are not just simple words that Paul wrote down. They are words that he lived and he walked out. They were very real and very personal because he wrote very personal letters to people he very personally dearly cared about. And he did not want to see them make some of the same mistakes that he himself had.
had already made. God used their disagreement to sow an opportunity for peace. It took years, didn't it? Right? It took years for that opportunity of peace to arise. He sowed an opportunity for peace, for redemption, and for spreading his kingdom. Even in the midst of the argument, you have two people going two different directions still bringing the same message. The kingdom grew. The kingdom grew. What, the, what Satan meant in that time was to cause division. Satan often means to cause division and often tries to cause us to bring accusations against our brothers and sisters. And we far too often partner with those accusations and vocalize them or internalize them in our hearts. But even in the midst of that, God's grace and his mercy is greater than Satan's accusations. Thank God that it is. So in that, we're going to have communion in a second. So if you don't have it, ushers, if you don't mind, go ahead and passing this out. And as we do, what I want to encourage you to do, turn this upside down. As you have communion, the reason we can have forgiveness and we can bear with one another is because of the blood of Christ. Without the blood of Christ, we would be subject to the law. We need the blood of Christ to wash over us because he forgives us. And we come before him with all humility, knowing that, hey, we might get some things wrong. Not might. We get some things wrong. All right, let's, let's say it how it really is. But he hung on the cross broken for us. He shed his blood for us so that we could bear with one another and seek unity and love. Because he wanted to seek unity with us to bridge that gap that sin had caused. So as we do this, I want you to encourage you, one, spend time with the Lord, picture the Lord however you will. But I also want you to consider somebody that you need to forgive. And you know what? Sometimes that might be yourself too. Okay, sometimes in order for us to move on, we need to be willing to forgive ourselves and let Jesus' love cover us. I want you to have a conversation with Jesus as we're doing this. Internally, if you can imagine Jesus talking to you, great. If not, that's okay. I want you to seek forgiveness, to clothe yourself in compassion. And to ask God what he will do in your timeline to the glory of his kingdom. God, my heavenly father, I thank you for your body. I thank you, God, for your broken body on the cross. God, thank you for making a way for us to seek love. For us to seek unity with you and out of that place to seek unity with one another. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
Jesus, as you have hung on the cross and you shed your blood for my sins, to show me the greatest of mercies. God, give us the heart and the wisdom to forgive others. To not try to keep your blood to ourselves, but to share you with others. Thank you, Holy Jesus, for your sacrifice and your love. I hope that this encourages you today. I like to believe that if the Lord put this one on my heart, that it was what he wanted me to say today, so I hope it came out okay. As you go out from this place today, know that the Lord has time for you, that he sees the bigger picture, that even if you might be a new babe in Christ, does not mean that you are less than anyone who might be 15, 20, 30, 40 years in Christ, that we all have places to grow. It strikes me then that, that also that Paul was telling Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. And it makes me wonder if that's catching himself saying, well, I kind of did that to Mark when he was younger. Shouldn't do that. Be encouraged by this story. If you're going through a hard time, if you're in the midst of contention with somebody, that's not the end of the story. Don't embrace cancel culture. Typical pithy, embrace church culture, God culture, whatever pastors typically say. Just don't embrace cancel culture. Love people for who they are, where they are, and encourage them and admonish them in Christ. Blessings to all of you. In Jesus' name.